My, my job title at uh, the Dallas campus of Abilene Christian University is the, I'm the Associate Dean for Vocational Formation, uh, which is a really pretentious job title, uh, and I hate saying it most days. Uh, and I often make a joke that my job is describing what my job title means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my work um, centers around the students in our college, which all of them are um, adult um, non-traditional, uh, most of our programs are fully online, pursuing graduate and doctoral degrees. So my job tries to address the question, how do you help working professionals, uh, nurses, therapists, uh, educators, business folk, have a sense of their work matters, that it matters to the world, that it matters to God. So I uh, help with curriculum and co-curricular. I do research and writing around faith and work. And a part of my work um, allows me opportunities to um, do some consulting and work with other groups. And this spring, I was fortunate enough to go uh, to El Salvador and work with Project Red and our friend Kara uh, and the folks there who work with Project Red. And out of that, uh, Charles said, hey, would you be willing to do this stuff uh, with Storyline? And I said, sure. Um, so here we are. That's how we landed here. Uh, what's that? Out of El Salvador. Out of El Salvador. Birthed the next three weeks. So the next three weeks, I want to... Uh, I want to talk about vocation. Uh, And we're going to, this morning, start with a reflective exercise in which we'll all get to participate. Uh, I'm going to try to frame uh, what I mean by vocation and what vocational formation is, and then try to provide a handful of reflections uh, on that. So let's begin with a prayer. God, by your grace, uh, we are gathered. Uh, By your grace, we are sustained. May you give us uh, this morning uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and the gift of open hearts to receive one another and uh, most especially to receive you and your kingdom breaking into this world. Through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start with a little exercise that I call Dwelling in Our Vocation. Um, now, if you're not a working professional, that's okay. Uh, I'll explain um, why vocation is a broad term that I use. Um, but here is what we're going to do. I'm going to provide a few moments of silence. And during that silence, I want you to reflect on a moment recently uh, that was meaningful to you. So this is a moment of gratitude or joy or maybe it was laughter um, a moment maybe where you connected with somebody else, or maybe there's something about the moment that connected with you. So we're just looking for any moment of meaning. Uh, and then, after a few moments of silence, I'm going to f- um, invite you to find a partner. I, I prefer, if we can, not to get to groups of three, because that takes up more time, and to share that moment of meaning uh, with the person. And then after some time, we'll come back together, and you'll be invited to share the moment of meaning that you heard from your partner, all right? So it's important that you're actually listening to them and not just thinking about what you want to say. So it's multiple levels of listening. You're listening to your own life, you're listening to your partner, and then when we come back, we'll be listening together as a group. So I invite you to close your eyes. Well, let me ask this first. Sorry, don't open them back up. Um, Does this make sense? Any questions? Yes. Any, it, it doesn't matter, any moment. So any moment of meaning. Um, and I, I want it to be particular. You can't say last fall was pretty great. Uh, I want it to be a particular um, moment. Who was involved 
What were you doing? Um, what's that? Oh, I don't care. Whatever comes to mind. Um, we're going to trust the Spirit. Whatever comes to mind, that's the moment we'll go with. Yes? That's okay. No. Okay. All right. So any moment that you've, you've felt a connection, a moment of hope, moment of joy, moment of gratitude, moment of peace, um, a moment of connection with another person, any of those, right? There's no wrong answers in this. Okay. All right. I invite you to close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. And I invite you to find a particular moment um, that was meaningful. Perhaps it was last week, perhaps it was yesterday, perhaps it was months ago. Identify a moment in which you experienced gratitude or hope or joy or peace or maybe connection with somebody else or connection with your own sense of identity. Find a particular moment and focus on it. Who was involved? What were you doing? What may have been happening within your own life that contributed to the meaningfulness of that moment? Okay, so I'm, I'm curious if we could share with one another uh, a story that we heard. A couple things. You're not obligated to share anything. Um, and also, if your partner shares, you're not obligated to share what they said. Uh, so let's, let's share a handful. We won't be able to get through everyone. But what are some of the stories you heard?
pretty emotional and was like, thanks for like bringing some like, you know, some fun yeah, into great. the office. And that meant a lot to her to be acknowledged. That's great. That That's great. Thanks, Val. Thanks, Lauren. It probably went better than you thought. Maybe. The jury's still out. One more? Ben was just sharing how having a job where um, most of the staff and the faculty at his um, college, they work remotely. And so it's hard to to have connection when everybody is working from home and working from various places. And so um, they got together recently to have staff development, encouragement, and that sort of thing. And it was just such a meaningful time for them to come together and be able to share and to be honest and to share um, in the midst of anxieties and fears about their job and to be honest, to be honest with the leadership, to be honest with the dean, to be honest with each other, and to just be open and to be honest. And it was meaningful because, you know, for people to walk away and feel like they were heard, that they were seen, and that um, to communicate, you know, and just how meaningful that moment was. Thanks, Markeela. Uh, I'll give you a chance to go back to your original seats if you want. Or if you like the new one, you can see that. <laughs> so I've, I've done, um, I'll keep it off for a bit. I've done this exercise, um, I don't know, 30 times, 40 times with different groups. I've done it with church groups. I've done it with corporations. Uh, and across the board, every time, when people reflect on a moment that was meaningful to them, uh, it's all really ordinary stuff. No one shares a story of curing cancer or saving a beached whale. Um, it was a reference that used to work when I lived on the ocean. Um, or, I don't know. They, um... They tell stories of uh, dressing up for Halloween, trying to lighten the mood, and one person seeing seeing it, going, "Hey, thanks." Uh, they tell stories of uh, walking down uh, a hallway and a colleague seeing them, and the colleague having a sense that something is wrong, and they go, "Hey, are you okay?" And just that simple question connected with them. When when we did this exercise in El Salvador, uh, it was stunning. Across cultures, the experience is the same. One of the social workers talked about seeing one of their teens on the street who was sick, and so he went and got some a cold medicine for him at the pharmacy and brought it back. Another social worker talked about a client who had this special place by a river, and her client really wanted to, to share that place with her, and so they just sat down by the river, this place that was meaningful to her client, and just that sharing was, was um, meaningful, right? More times than not, uh, the place in our lives where we feel connection, deep connection to who we are and what we think is right in the world, it tends to be pretty ordinary stuff. Uh, one of the, uh, I did this with folk back in um, Abilene on the Abilene campus, and one of the English professors who uh, uh, leads a thing called Wildcat Swing. It's a swing dancing, swing cats, yeah. It is dancing, yeah, yeah, which, as we all know, leads to babies. Um, but it dawned on him that most of the most of the kids who were in swing cats uh, were on the outside. Uh, they didn't have a lot of friends. 
Uh, and one of the students, Sakna uh, Cole, said, I, I love this because this is the only place um, where I get to touch another human being. And he's there because he doesn't have really any friends, and this is the one place where he experiences human touch. Okay, so when you think about the word vocation, what comes to mind? Sort of stream of consciousness here. Job? Career? Work. Anyone else? So vocation is uh, uh, it's, it's everywhere and it's used in sort of multiple ways. So I want to describe how I'm using it. It began as a word uh, that was really entirely just used for uh, uh, call into ministry for the Catholic Church. The vocation was what one experienced when they were called, invited into the priesthood. And then along came the Reformation, and Martin Luther and others in the Protestant tradition wanted to reclaim that, saying it's not just for the clergy, it's not just for the spiritual elite, it's for all of us. And so then it became a term that was used for one sense of calling in God in the world. And now, over the last hundred years, it is very diverse and extremely ubiquitous, right? It can mean uh, career, it can mean job, it can mean vocational training, I, when I use the word vocation, um, I lean heavily on the Latin root. So Latin root of vocation is vocare, which means calling. Then let's take it a step further back. Latin root of vocare is vox, which means voice. So I talk about the three voices of vocation. I talk about the, the voice of our identity, the voice of our context, and the voice of God. And the voice of our identity um, that is how we're wired, right? those particular longings and passions, that, that unique thing that we bring to the world that grows out of both who we are naturally, but also grows out of our life experience, both the good and the bad. Right? The voice of our identity is that imago Dei, that image of God, that thing that we bring. The voice of our context is the world around us. This includes our jobs, but isn't limited to our jobs. It includes our homes. It includes third places like coffee shops or pubs or community centers. So this is, uh, I, I don't know how quickly uh, people at ACU realize this. Um, I'm glad I still have a job because I'm a terrible career coach. <laughs> uh, I'm a really terrible career coach. In fact, I really don't care. Uh, the way in which I talk about vocation is fairly career agnostic. Um, I don't care what you're doing, but I care about the posture you have in whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, so the context isn't just limited to our work. It's all of the world around us. And then finally um, is the voice of God, that transcendent other that pulls us into what we believe God longs for the world. Uh, and I use voice intentionally uh, because I want to argue that the primary capacity for us gaining a posture that engages the world in meaningful ways the, the, the skill that we need the most is listening and attentiveness. Uh, I tell the marketing folk that should be the new ACU tagline, come to ACU, learn how to listen to the voices. But they, they tell me it's terrible. Um, okay. I can't hear the voices. Uh, and this is really hard work, listening. 
attending to who we are, listening to the voice of our identity is not easy work. I'll, I'll speak for myself and I'll project it onto all of you. Uh, I'm a bit of a mess. I'm constantly negotiating uh, different versions of myself that I want to project onto the world. Uh, that who I am at my core is something that I, I sometimes want to hide or uh, bedazzle uh, or to um, sort of limit the view other people get because there's some parts I don't want you to see. It's also really hard to listen to the voice of our identity because uh, we, we have lots of pain um, and lots of trauma in life. And, and oftentimes who we are and the thing that comes out is... is um, is really hard to negotiate. This is why I think everyone should be in therapy all the time. But the voice of, of, of our identity and attending to that voice requires attentionality. It requires the ability to slow down and to listen. I also think listening to the voice of our context is really, really, really hard work. Primarily because of this. We are way too busy and we move way too fast. Um, the list of to-do lists is so long that I think it's really hard for people to be present in the moment that's right in front of them. Because they're either uh, thinking about the thing they just left or thinking about the thing they have to go to next to be fully present with the person or persons or situation that's right in front of them. I think the great sin of our culture is not sex, drugs, or rock and roll. I think it's distraction. I really do. Uh, I think if we could learn how to be more present in the moment that we're at and trusting that this moment is enough, uh, the world would be a more beautiful place. How, how many times have you gotten to the end of the day and you've gone to a bunch of different places, but you couldn't actually um, describe one person that you came into contact with? Um, or how many times have you left a, a grocery store and you, you can't even imagine what the face of the grocery clerk looks, looks like because you're so busy thinking about other stuff? So attending to the voice of our context is really, really hard work. And attending to the voice of God is really, um, really hard. I'm, I am not one who's been uh, gifted as some who hears God's voice clearly. Um, most of my sense of God's uh, speaking in my life, I found out after the fact I was probably really wrong. And it was more myself attributing things to God. And, and knowing, um, knowing God's work and God's movement uh, it often comes in a whisper, um, takes uh, the kind of patience uh, and attentiveness that I'm not wired to have. And I want to say about these three uh, voices that um, they're not mutually exclusive. That as we learn how to be present with ourselves and the world and God, we actually learn how to be more present with the other two. As I have a better sense of who I am, I think I'm better, um, more capable of interacting with my neighbors. As I, as I intentionally seek out that which God might be up to in the world, I think I can see myself and the world a little bit more clearly. That there is a, a, a movement and a play between these um, things. And the good news is that I think this kind of work, it, it requires nothing out of us except to pay attention to what's already here. We don't have to produce or manage something new because who we are, all the things we bring to the world, 
This is great news. It's here. The context in which we engage, in which we live, it's here. And what God is up to in the world, God is here. This is the good news. The bad news is that it's just really, really hard. Um, and it takes a lot of work. So let me pause here for um, a conversation. When you think about sort of how I framed it, the voice of identity, the voice of context, the voice of God, two questions you can answer. Which one of those three voices do you feel like you're fairly in tune with and you're able to hear clearly? And which one is more difficult for you? Yeah. Identity, who you are, context, and God. Are we saying this out loud? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you like, we can sit in silence too. <laughs> say God. Okay. You want to say more about that or no? Yeah. That's the hard one. That's the one that's the most difficult. Yeah, you can do either. Okay. Yeah, so that's the one that's the most difficult for me. Mm. I mean, you know, yeah. um, and, you know, the more I am present, I can pay attention to my surroundings and the person in front of me. And, um, but God just feels a lot more ambiguous and inaccessible. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jim. One more? I sort of agree. And uh, mine, it's if more clarity about God and context, then I have clarity of who yeah. I am. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean I'm listening to God. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Duly noted. Let me write that down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a few assumptions that I'm working off of that I want to make clear um, and we'll flesh out over the next uh, couple weeks. Assumption number one is that I believe God longs for the world to be a place of human flourishing. Uh, I believe that in Christ, uh, a new age is broken in to which all of creation is moving towards, where all things will be made right. The Micah text that uh, was read at the beginning is one of my favorite because it, it articulates, I think, God's heart. Like God could take or leave any of the worship. Um, that we do. God could, could take or leave all of the rituals that we think we need to get in line to make God happy. What does God long for? Justice, mercy, and humility. And justice is not just retributive. It's not just punishment. It's restorative. Mm-hmm. But justice in Scripture is things being made right. Cool. So any moment in which there is human flourishing is a moment that God cares about and that God participates in, regardless of the religious convictions of the person who's doing it. This is where I think the fruits of the Spirit really actually matter. I think that love does not happen outside the sustaining Spirit of God. I think it's impossible. 
So if there is a moment of love, if there's a moment of joy, if there's a moment of peace, we can, we can make a longer list of fruits of the Spirit, right? That's not, a, that's, that's not an exhaustive list. But any moment that the Spirit breaks in is evidence that God is at work in the world, regardless of our awareness of it. So, uh, I, I have written here in my notes, story of Glenn, question mark, parenthetical, depending on visitors. <laughs> Out with it. <laughs> they can handle it. So, uh, th- this is, I'm, I'm risking too much information here. Uh, so, you, and you don't have to come back the next two weeks if I make you angry. <laughs> Uh, so 2012, many of you know, was a really awful year for us. Uh, Jen's brother Ryan had terminal brain cancer. The summer before Ryan died, uh, we had five deaths in 12 weeks in a little small church that I pastored. Uh, there was a month stretch where I was going to three different hospitals every day and then coming home uh, to a house of grief as we were watching Ryan die. And then he died on November 7th, and that evening I went into the hospital uh, with some back pain and ended up being there for 22 days. Uh, 15 of those days were in the ICU, and I had emergency surgery on day nine that saved my life, where they found an abscess that started this toxic um, downward spiral. Uh, it was, needless to say, a really terrible uh, season. Uh, but I had, a, I had a nurse in the ICU named Glenn. Uh, I couldn't tell you any of the other nurses' names uh, because I was hopped up on Dilaudid the whole time. But I remember Glenn, his long white goatee, uh, like cotton white goatee, long cotton white hair. He's probably in his early 60s, covered in tattoos. He had a DNR tattoo right here on his neck, a little symbol for DNR. I love this guy. He was was salty. Uh, He cursed like a sailor. Uh, which, since I don't do that, it's nice that other people do. <laughs> he was, uh, I mean, he was, he was just a gift. So when they did surgery, you know, they cut me open from here to here, and I had 40 staples for holding it together. And if you've ever had your core opened up in even the smallest way, you find out, like, that matters for movement. Uh, it's kind of a big deal to have all those things connected and not in trauma. And so for days, I, I couldn't do anything. Uh, I mean, getting up, I, I had to have someone help me get up, and they were making me walk. And the most painful uh, movement was twisting. And so for days after my surgery, when I went to the bathroom, someone had to wipe me. Uh, I've never felt more embarrassment and shame, vulnerability. Uh, so one day I pulled the cord and a CNA that wasn't assigned to me, I'd never seen her before, um, but she saw the light and so she comes in and she's like, what do you need? And I was immediately embarrassed because I didn't know her. I said, I need someone to wipe me. And she goes, no, you got to do it yourself. I said, I can't. I'm, I'm two days after surgery. I, I, I can't lean. I can't twist. I can't. She's like, well, you're going to have to try. And my eyes fill up with tears. And I look at her and say, I, I can't do it. I need you to do it for me. She goes, no. And then the tears really start welling up. 
And I'm, even in the moment, I'm aware that it's not just about that. It's, it's the loss of Ryan. It's the loss of um, those five friends for church. It's all of the grief. It's complete lack of control and vulnerability and loss. And so through tears, I yell at her. I said, I need you to help me. She's like, no. So I screamed at her and I told her to get out. Glenn comes around the corner uh, and uh, runs into the bathroom. Blankety blank, what's going on, Ben? And I told him, he says, blankety blank, blank, blank. And he looks at me uh, and he says, Ben, It'd be an honor for me to wipe your ass. <laughs> and and uh, and Glenn Glenn held me. He, my my head was here and I was I was just bawling. And the whole time he's whispering in my ear, "It's an honor for me to wipe your ass." <laughs> Um, I don't, I'm I'm pretty sure based on some conversations that Glenn and I have had, had during that time, uh, that Glenn holds faith pretty loosely, if at all. Uh, But I can tell you this, there's been no other moment in my life where I was as convinced as I was in that moment and looking back on the moment. That God is a God who enters our suffering. Mm -hmm. That God is a God who holds us in all of our vulnerability and shame and pain. The Spirit of God was at work in Glenn's life. And this is is the good news. Um, That the invitation to participate in the world is an invitation to pay attention to the small stuff. To learn how to be more present with who we are and be honest about that. To learn how to be more present with the world around us. And offer as we can our presence and our love. And even just the awareness of looking somebody in the eye and saying, I see you. And through that, attending more faithfully to whatever it is that God might be up to in the world. And half the time I'm not sure, but sometimes I get glimpses of it. I did that day with Glenn. Um... And I do pretty often through all of y'all, for which I'm grateful. So the next two weeks, um, I want to unpack um, some more of the theology around this. Of God coming in through the small stuff, of the kingdom of God, and what does it mean to be present as Jesus was present. Uh, we're, we're close on time, so let me um, offer just a few moments of silence um, during our mission prayers. Um, I want to invite us to... In light of people like Glenn, um, maybe if we could, during the silence, identify uh, the Glens in your life, uh, people who've been the presence of God. And then I'll provide a few more moments of silence, and I want to invite you to um, think of who in your life right now would benefit from you being Glenn to them. Okay? So let's go to the quiet. God, we give you the next few moments to think of those people through whom you have appeared to us. People like Glenn, 
who have extended your love and grace and held us, perhaps when we were hurt or ashamed or vulnerable. In silence, we give these names to you now. And God, we also um, recognize that there are people in our lives who um, need your presence. Uh, perhaps they're co-workers or family members or neighbors. Perhaps it's someone that we don't even yet know. But I ask God that you would give us the courage to be present, to see the world around us and those um, in the world um, that need your presence uh, through us. So we give you the next few moments, God, as we identify people in our lives to whom we may be called to simply be present and to notice. Be generous with your spirit to us, O Lord, our God. Give us the courage and the patience and the wisdom to live by the spirit, not by the flesh. Give us, God, um, eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, those to whom you're calling us. And may we, if we do anything, commit to this, being present to ourselves, in the world, and to you. Through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.